you would take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. It's our privilege to open the Word of God today. Another opportunity to be in the book of Ephesians. We are getting close to the end. Um, Actually, we will try to finish this book up next week. Ephesians chapter 6, I'll begin reading at verse 9. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will. Render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same thing to those or to them and give, give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you, Lord, that you have shed your love abroad in our lives. Thank you for the fellowship that we can enjoy because of that work. Lord, we are blessed. We are a blessed people. I pray that now as we open your word, may we... May we find a way in which we can enhance our worship to you. As we've already sung, Lord, how can we say thanks? Lord, it's, it's only by a life of service as your slaves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, man has been gifted by God with an imagination, with reasoning ability, with fine motor skills with social skills and even craftsmanship, the skills and craftsmanship with strength and body. And man can build things. Man can work. He can make himself and other people feel comfortable here in this life because of work, because God made man to be industrious. Now there's obstacles that man faces in this, uh, in this work that he's called to do. And this, these obstacles are a result, are because of sin, obviously that is on the earth, a sin that has come into the world. Some of those obstacles are just simply the laws of physics. The laws of physics. God has created the universe to operate in a certain way. And we have to educate ourselves to those laws. We have to accommodate to those laws. Another one is man's sinful nature. His own sinful nature. He struggles with his own laziness. His own apathy. His own weak-mindedness. Sometimes fear. There's another element. And that's the fact that things tend to decline here on this earth as a result of sin. So we build a car and we sit and watch that car just deteriorate over the years. 
And we also build our houses. We build uh, bridges. We see these things just decline. So it's constant work on maintaining those things that we even have the, the strength and ability to build. There's another element, though, and that's the other creatures that God has made and put on this earth for us to share this earth with. These little microbes that get into your swimming pools that you have to clean out. The germs that get onto our hands and we put into our bodies without even knowing it and then we are sick. Squirrels that get into our electric boxes and blow a circuit. Snakes and spiders, things that we're afraid of. There's, there's those things. Those are an obstacle for man. Man's constantly fighting against nature. Another element that man has to fight against, and that's just communication skills. Sometimes it's hard to communicate from my mind to your mind what exactly I'm trying to say. So, communication skills. In fact, that's one way that God hindered the Tower of Babel being built. He just confused the language. And we understand that today. So we have to learn to communicate to one another. Man does not have the luxury, though, of not doing anything. He will starve to death. If we do not work, if we are not industrious, we do not eat. We will not survive. We depend upon our own skills, but we also depend upon the skills of other people. We do. We realize that in a community. Now, the majority of our time during our day, for most of us, is at our job, at a a work spot, a workplace. For some, the job is a struggle. It's something they don't look forward to. They are drained by the end of the day. They feel trapped. They're beaten down. And they just don't like their job. Other people, though, love their jobs. They're energized when they go to work. They look forward to it. Because they found something that they like to do and that they're good at. The Lord has blessed them at. Or maybe it's a challenge for them to, to rise to the occasion. But they, full, they find fulfillment in this job. And that's good. They have found something that God wants them to do, and that brings them fulfillment. Brings them enrichment, meaning to their life. Now, we've been in this book of Ephesians, and we've seen that God has His call upon our lives. And that call even reaches down to our service to Him. We serve Him. We are His slaves, as was pointed out. Now, what that means to us, we may think, well, God wants everybody to be pastors, everybody to be Sunday school teachers or full-time Christian workers or missionaries. But that's, that's, not, that's not exactly right. We can glorify God in the workplace. We don't believe in a sacred over here and a secular over here. We serve God And everything is sacred to God. So when we serve Him, we are are not just serving Him as a pastor, but we can serve Him as any other occupation that we may have. We can glorify Him. It really comes down to a matter of of then just obedience to God, a matter of obedience or disobedience to God. 
And God has created man to work and to work for Him. But God has also created man to worship, hasn't He? We worship. We will worship something. Worship is our response to God. The song that we just sang, how can we say thanks? How can we show our appreciation? Well, we find in Scripture, and we'll look at this, that it's by a life of worship. Worship is our response to God's grace in our life, God's handiwork, God's work in our life. And then what we see then is our work gives us the opportunity to worship God, to worship God with our lives. That's the biblical understanding of work. Now, how do we do that? How do we worship God by, well, let me... Just say this, we worship God by doing things excellently, by doing things with um, quality, the best that we can. We, we worship God at our work by our integrity at work, by the way we do our work. We also worship God through just our diligence, we're called to diligence in our faithfulness to our work. Those things glorify God. Those give us opportunities then to worship God. It's not just evangelism at work. We should do that. That should be a natural outflow. But really, we worship God and and we glorify God through the quality of our work, through the integrity of our work, and through our faithfulness and our diligence at work. And so, as God then gives us opportunities, He gives us skills to do this, He gives us passion to do this, we focus not on ourselves, but on God, and who gets the glory? God. If we're simply trying to please Him, then He gets the glory. We're just serving Him. I'm just doing what my pastor wants me to do. And He has given me the skills to be able to do it, and I'm going to do it for His honor and for His glory. And that brings great contentment to our own life. But it also demonstrates the craftsmanship of God. We are His workmanship, remember? We are His workmanship. We are His handiwork. So therefore, He gets the credit. He gets the credit for a job well done. We don't say, boy, look at me. We just just turn it around and say, hey, God, thank you for allowing me to be able to have these skills to be able to do this. It's not me. God God gave me the oxygen to breathe. God gave me the healthy body. God gave me the mind. God gave me the hands. God gave me the, the feet and the legs to carry me. God's work in my life has accomplished this. It's not me. Um, but here's what we do gain. Through excellent work, through work that pleases God, we gain within this world, within this Within this unsaved watching world, we gain an opportunity to be heard. We gain the right to be heard. When you have a football player, a basketball player that does excellent, and he just excels and everybody wants to meet him. He has a platform, we say, doesn't he? And it's the same idea. We, we do excellent work so that we do have the opportunity then to be heard. People say, wow, that's great. And we can say, yeah, let me tell you about the God who's worked in my life. So it's an opportunity to be heard. Now, in this particular passage, we see that we are called to be different from the world. We've seen that. But 
let's just kind of summarize this passage. From verses 5 to 9 is about the workplace. It's about work. But let me kind of summarize this. It's a very simple uh, construct. There's slaves. There's one command for slaves. And there's masters. And there's a command for masters. It's very simple. Slaves be obedient. They are to be obedient to the masters according to the flesh. That Paul wants to make sure they understand. He's not talking about be obedient to God. That's good. We want that. But be obedient to those masters in the flesh. To your master according to the flesh. Not God, basically, is what he's saying. And he tells us how to do it with fear and trembling. In sincerity of our hearts. With genuineness, basically. With eye, not with eye service, not just, uh, well, I'm going to do a good job when my boss is watching, but uh, we are to do it in such a way as pleasing to the Lord. And when he's not watching, when the boss is not watching. And we're to do it with goodwill. We're to serve with goodwill. And masters are to do it without threatening. And um, bottom line, we are slaves of Christ. We are slaves of Christ. That's just that's what it says. We are slaves of Christ. And here's the here's the good part. God then rewards us. Our reward is from God. It's not just the reward of paycheck every other week or the first and the fifteenth or, or once a month. No, our reward is going to come from God. If we work for God, then our paycheck will come from God. Our our reward will come from God. And folks, that's not here on this earth. That's when we get home. Now, Paul answers several questions for us about the work environment and how Christians are to uh, be involved in that. And let me tell you kind of the big point of this passage here. Christians can glorify God in the workplace by fulfilling their responsibilities with an obedient attitude, trusting in God's sovereignty over their life. Now, that's kind of general. That's kind of what we know. Now, Paul gives us, though, there's four questions that uh, I want to ask concerning this passage because Paul answers these questions in this particular passage. Number question number one, if I am called by God, now that's the context, if I'm called by God and I'm submitted to the Holy Spirit, Should I submit to an ungodly master? Isn't that kind of a contradiction? And that's that's kind of the context. He's just told us in chapter five to submit. We we are to we are to submit to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit work in our life. And we in the larger context of this book, God's call is on our lives. Doesn't that contradict then the fact that we are to submit to ungodly masters? That's very interesting. And Paul says, be obedient to masters according to the flesh, to your master according to the flesh. Now, slavery in the Old Testament, we see in Leviticus chapter 25 and Exodus chapter 21, there was a system of slavery in the Old Testament, and it was accepted uh, by God. But it was a little bit different than what we might think about slavery today. Now, Israelites were able to buy slaves from pagan nations around them, But they were probably a lot more humane to their slaves than the other nations around them. So it was really kind of an act of mercy when you're buying slaves from those pagan nations. The Israelites were never to buy and to sell other Israelites. 
They could indenture themselves. They can volunteer to be a slave if their their um, their property or their land was not producing. They could sell that land and indenture themselves to someone else, and someone else would then have the responsibility of taking care of them, and they would work for them. But at the on the year of jubilee, that was all turned back to them. The land and the slavery was was to be back. Uh, they were to gain their freedom again. They were to have a, a fresh start. Slaves. Um, Slaves could gain their friend, their freedom if, if they were injured by an overpowering master. If there was a master that just beat them and they were injured, they, were gained, they could gain their uh, freedom that way. And as a slave, um, if a slave was to run away, they were to be protected by other people. And uh, if, if there was an oppressive master... Basically, though, slavery in the Old Testament was, was really treated, slaves in the Old Testament was treated more of hired servants, hired workers, as opposed to slaves that we would see. Now, by the time that the Roman, by this Roman time, though, it was a little bit different. Rome was not so kind to slaves. Even though within Rome there was probably about one-third of the Roman population slaves. Now the reason for that is because, especially later on in Roman history, the Romans got to the point that they didn't like work. Work was beneath them. They would hire somebody to do their work. It was beneath their dignity. And the whole Roman Empire basically became... Um, function began to function largely by slave power. It was slaves that basically did all the work. Slaves received no respect. They were simply property to be bought and sold. They, um, they did not have their freedom at all. It was not a good thing to be a slave back then. So, you can understand, when a slave become a Christian, they're asking the question, Paul, I hear what you're saying, we're to submit to God. God has this call upon our life, and we're to submit to the Holy Spirit. But what about my master according to the flesh? So Paul answers that question. Now, Paul doesn't do it by saying, okay, we want to, we want to organize a massive uprising. Um, an uprising with all the slaves. A revolt. No, because that... Slavery really wasn't the problem. The real problem was the heart of man. The heart of man was corrupt. There were corrupt, slave, or corrupt masters and, and there were good masters. Um, slavery was just a, a, human, a human system that actually, with a regenerate heart, can work fine. But when there's an unregenerate heart does not work so well. Let me give you a, a quote by Pastor John MacArthur. It says, The New Testament teaching does not, does not focus on reforming or restructuring human systems. Now, that would be slavery. Which are never the root cause of the human problem. The issue is always the heart of man. Which, if wicked, if the heart is wicked, will corrupt the best of systems. Now, what do we see today? I hope you're beginning to see some of the picture here. But if the human heart is a righteous heart, it can improve the worst of systems. If man's sinful heart is unchanged, then 
they find ways to oppress regardless if they're slaves or not, don't they? There's that oppression, no matter if there's a slave or not. On the other hand, if they're spirit-filled believers, spirit-filled believers will have just and harmonious relationships with each other, no matter what system they they live under. Man's basic problems and needs are not political, they're not social, they're not economical, but what? Spiritual. This is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. You know what? We face that same thing today. It's not necessarily the capitalistic system that everybody's saying, oh, it's failing, it's failing, it's failing. It's not the system. It's the heart of man. It's the heart of man. Unfortunately, the heart of man is corrupt. It needs to be changed. That has to take place from the inside. That's a spiritual issue. And let me just tell you now, if you have not dealt with that in your own life, you need to do that. I call you to repentance. Repentance. You need to to come before God, recognizing your sin, your sinful heart, your sinfulness. Repenting and turning toward God. And that changes everything. For the believer then, that changes a whole lot because God then has His right to tell us how to live in the workplace. And He gives us clear instructions on how to do so. But you know what? Within that system, there's the fullest of joy. There's meaning to life. And there's fulfillment there. So the answer to the first question is yes. We have to submit ourselves even to unsaved masters and that submission does not hinder in any way my submission to the holy spirit it doesn't hinder in any way my call upon god unless there's asked to do something that's disobedient to those to those things but let me show you this point turn over to first peter chapter 2 first peter chapter 2 peter addresses this directly because this is a hard issue this is very hard. We don't understand slavery really in this day. We have seen it in previous generations in our country. But boy, when you're living with that, this is a hard, hard sell. First Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Even if you've got an unreasonable slave master, you are to be, you're to be submissive. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, that, uh, that a person bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if, if when, you su- when you sin and are harshly treated that you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right... And suffer for it. You patiently endure. You find favor with with God. Find favor with God. Even in that kind of ungodly situation. If you're, if you're suffering under those things. You find favor with God. That's, that's sobering. That's sobering. Because as a slave in Roman time. That could be harsh. Much harsher than you would find today. In our work environment. In our work conditions. Now, let me point out also, this is, this is a master according to the flesh. This is, this is another way of saying, of Paul reminding us, this is just according to the flesh. This is temporal. Your job that you have now, 
you're not going to have to do that in heaven. This is just this earthly stuff. We just have to do this now. But boy, wait till we get to heaven. This is just, this is temporal. This is temporal. So, a good picture of this. Well, let me step back. These are fundamental elements to Christianity. You understand that. In this passage, just basic elements. There's trust. There's trust in this God who knows my, the sovereign, uh, or the, he is sovereign over my condition. And there's obedience. It's trust and obey. It's very basic to the Christian life. So whether you're in a job or whether you're having to submit to your husband or children having to submit to parents, we all as Christians learn to submit in some way to some person. And so these kind of things apply to us all. And we have to learn to obey. And how do you learn to obey? You do it. (laughs) You do it. You just you just obey. You might not feel comfortable at first, but we are not to blame it on our unsaved past. We're not to blame it on, well, that's just not my temperament. Or we don't blame it on my birth order or my parents or whatever thing. Paul says to be obedient to your masters. And then it's a matter of trusting not the human agent that God has placed in your life. There's an element to that but it's really trusting god it's a matter of trusting god that's a spiritual issue it's a matter of obedience that's it's very sobering when we think about it and the question has to be asked of you and myself are we characterized at work by someone who is who does what they are told to do it's very simple it it, it equates very easily from paul's society to our society we don't have slavery system, but we do, we do have work. And the same principle applies. We just simply, we simply trust in God and we obey. Even though God has a high calling on our life, even though we are to submit to the Holy Spirit, the answer is yes, we are to submit to the human agent. Question number two. What kind of attitude then glorifies God in the workplace? What kind of attitude is the best attitude? Well, Paul spells that out very, very clearly here. But let me point out that this attitude must be consistent with the action. When you're obedient, the attitude, the the proper attitude must follow. So there's a consistency there. But it's not just consistent with the action, attitude and the action, but it's consistent with with the claim on your life. Consistent with the claim on your life. If God has called you to that and you've placed God's claim on your life, then you are to be consistent with that claim. That attitude is going, it should be consistent. Now, here's what it's not. It's not going to work with a chip on your shoulder. It's not going to to work in saying, well, they should be glad I even showed up. Or it's, you know, they should be you know, glad that I'm I'm here, or or they can't do this job without me, and you can hear the pride in that. Um, it's not the attitude that well, they better not treat me that way. I have my rights. It's not a gloom and doom attitude. It's not a martyred complex or martyr complex. It, it is. Uh, 
It is not an angry, hateful attitude either. Sometimes I think we fight over authority so much that we lose our focus and we cannot glorify God at all. We have no strength anymore to, to glorify God. Our, all, of our, all of our attention is drawn toward this human earthly master and that we cannot submit to or we refuse to submit to and we're not focused on at all glorifying God. And what's the deal? Well, Satan has you right where he wants you. He does not want you to glorify God in the workplace. He has his demand on your life as well. I mean, he thinks he does anyway. And there's no room for glorifying God in that life. So what is it? What is the proper attitude? Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. That's the proper attitude. It's, it's honor and respect. It's the idea of anxious to please I'm looking forward to, to helping you. Now, how many of you gone to work with that kind of attitude? <laughs> that's hard. It's hard to do. But that's the attitude. It's sincerity of heart, he uses that phrase. Without hypocrisy, he means. And it's genuine. It's a genuine attitude. Now, there's a couple passages. In Titus chapter 2, I want you to see... This passage, this is an important passage. The Bible says a whole lot about our work, folks. Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. When you're at work, when you're glorifying God, you are adorning the doctrine of God. You are living that out in front of these unbelievers. Another passage is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11 and 12. And to make it your ambition, and this is in the context of work as well, to make it ambition to, to lead a quiet life. And tend to your own business and work with your own hands just as, just, as we are command, just as we have commanded you. So that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in need. So that means you are to work well enough to provide for your own family. But while you're doing that, be aware that the unbeliever is watching. The outsiders are watching. And... Make sure your behavior is proper, he says. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Why does God do this? Why is this such a concern? Because God's name is at stake. If you claim to be a Christian, God's reputation is on the line. And God says, don't take my name in vain. We are to work to the glory of God. And when we're working, we're displaying a redeemed life. We're claiming, oh, look at me. Look at my redeemed life. I'm a Christian. Then we need to make sure we're consistent with that. We need to work without complaining, without bragging, without criticizing everybody else, without disrupting the whole workforce. And the only way to really do that, to have that proper attitude, is to think right. 
Your thinking has to be right. It really is a spiritual issue. And we have to think right about God. We have to think right about ourselves, our position, what God is doing. You may come to the conclusion, well, I need to find a better job. If I'm going to have an attitude that glorifies God, I might have to find a, a better job. And you might. You might. God might open something up. But here's what he wants. If you're going to take the name of Christ, there must be that consistency. There must be an attitude of fear and trembling and genuineness there, Paul says. Even for slaves? Yeah, even for slaves. Number three, question number three. What should a proper motivation be? We've seen the proper attitude, proper motivation for my daily work. Look what he says in verses 5, 6, and 7. He uses it three times. As to Christ... We are slaves or servants of Christ. In verse 6 and in verse 7, we are um, as to the Lord. We are slaves of Christ, he says in verse 6. Slaves of Christ. We are actually working for, for Him, for Christ. So... We don't just work when the supervisor's watching, when the, when the boss is watching. We don't work just to please other people, but we work to please God. We work to please the Lord. We are here to please Him. And it's about obedience. Why? Why is it, why is it about this? Because our lives are what? To be worship. To be a worship to God. Worship is not what we do on Sunday mornings and that's it. Our lives, our response to God's work in our life is a life of obedience. It's much bigger than a Sunday morning service. It's much bigger than that. We work as unto the Lord. That means that God's going to put challenges in our, our life. It's going to be a challenge. But those challenges are to be seen as a reward, as something to to. to, to uh, accomplish. There's productivity, productivity to be had. There's rewards to be that God will place upon us. We are to do our work as unto the Lord, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 31. We are to be reliable, productive. We are to be cooperative with other workers. We work for God, we work to glorify God. Let me give you another couple of verses. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. All who are under the yoke of slavery are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. You see what's on the line here? It's pretty clear. And he goes on. I won't read the rest of that. Let me show you one other verse. When you're working for God, here's, here's the reality. And this is, a, this is based upon the parable of the talents. But Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, let me just remind you. And his master said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You, you were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. If you want to work for God, be careful about the small things. Be faithful in those. We are to, to be care, take care in those things. And the Lord, He'll give you more responsibility. He'll give you a bigger position. He'll, he'll reward you in the proper time and in the proper way when you're working for God. God is a rewarder. 
Now let me kind of pull this together. Romans chapter 12. I'm just going to remind you of this verse. Verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your whole bodies a living sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. It's a sacrifice on a day-to-day basis. It's not a sacrifice where you die. This is a living sacrifice and it's constant bodies, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Your life is to be worshipped and it's to be done in the workplace and it can be it can be done by just glorifying God by yielding your body over to him allowing him to work in your life isn't that a wonderful thought that we can work for God we can actually glorify God with what we do that's just an amazing thought to me and we're talking about motives here so we have to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and just remind you, verse 13, each man's works will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed by fire. So these works that we do are someday going to put, be put through the fire, it says through the fire itself, for testing Testing what? The quality of each man's works. Now, this isn't just, a, you know, making pottery kind of work. You know, this is, this is your work. This is your life. And, it's, and he's talking about motives here. Look at verse 14. If any man's work which he has built on, built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If a man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet as through fire. So, so God at some point is going to question our motives. He's going, to, he's going to judge those motives. And based upon those motives, things could be burned up. Those accomplishments that you've done, that you think you've done, um, you know, could be burned up or could be rewarded. That's what it's like when you work for God. God knows God knows your own heart. He knows that person you're working for. He knows your circumstances. We are to trust Him, trust and obey Him. Now the question again has to be asked before we go on to the fourth question. Are you working for God? Do you see yourself in that position as working for God? It's a glorious high calling. It'll motivate you to do what is right. Look at the fourth question. Can... God get glory from my own efforts even though I am working for someone else. Now that's kind of complicated. If I'm working for Him and I work really hard but He gets the glory, how can God get the glory from that? Well, look at verse 7 or verse 7 and 8. With good will render service. And this is a very physical thing. As to the Lord and not to man. You're not working for man, but you're working for God, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this will be rewarded back from the Lord. So the good that you're doing in your work, that good that you're doing in your work, it will be rewarded by God. By God. You may not know how God gets the glory, but God does get the glory. And He will reward you at the proper time. 
God has created us in such a way as to, uh, for us to reflect His ability, His creativity. That's an amazing thought. You can, uh, and this is a, a lame illustration, but you might have seen this commercial where this guy, I think it's a, probably a Geico commercial or something, but this guy gets these little, little guinea pigs or something to row. And there's one guinea pig saying, row, row, row. And, you know, it's just supposed to be funny, but the guy's saying, how, how did you get him to do that? Well, you know, just, it's one word, but it's, it's a hard word. Who gets the glory for teaching those guinea pigs to, to row? Who gets the glory when you do something right? When you do a good job? God gets the glory. He made you. You are His creation. Man, we don't seem to get above the ceiling on this. It's God's glory. God gets this. If you do anything good, God gets the glory. Now, He's going to reward you. He is a gracious God. Don't forget about that. But He gets the credit. He gets the credit for that. There is no sacred and secular. Just because you're not a pastor or a missionary doesn't mean you're not working for God. Everything is sacred to God when you're working for God. And so it's a matter of obedience and a matter of disobedience. And it's all to the glory of God. Solomon says that we are to work with all our might. Paul says that we are to be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. And the verse that Dave read earlier, Paul says to be heartily as unto the Lord. Our work is to be heartily as unto the Lord. So we shouldn't see this as, well, I don't want to promote myself or, or I don't want to uh, work too hard because I might, I might steal some of the glory. No, you work hard. You work hard. You accomplish something for God because God's getting the glory. You don't have to worry about that. Now, Check your own heart. Make sure your motives are right. We are to work carefully. We are to be responsible. It's not just when the boss is watching. Even when the boss doesn't see, or even when the boss is not even interested, and when he doesn't even, or maybe he takes the credit for your work. God knows your boss. God knows your circumstances You're working for God, and He will reward you. We are to work with excellence. We are to do things decently and in order. And our actions are to glorify God. God gets the glory then for our work. So when we make a car that can drive 3,000 miles, and you you think, man, that's a nice car too, and you can have air conditioning going through the desert, that's, that's great. Who gets the glory for that? God does. God does. God made man in such a way that he can do these things. And frankly, I don't think we've even reached the... We've even come close to what God has given the man the ability to do. And I think that's a result of sin. But you know what? We carry cell phones around in our pocket. I mean, it's an amazing thing. We can receive calls just out in nowhere, minding our own business, and we can receive a phone call. Or we can make phone calls. That's to the glory of man, but it's to the glory of God who created man to be able to do such a thing. We could put an entire encyclopedia on a chip. That's amazing. And recall all of that information. Oh, just by way of application. Every time you serve someone, 
Even as a slave or a free person, even if you're doing it for free or if you're getting paid to do it, if you're getting paid to do it, you know what? God sees that good that you're doing and He will reward you appropriately. That's an amazing thought. And so we have to ask the question, are you bringing glory to God with your attitudes and your motives and with the quality of your work? Are you doing that? Well, when you do that, when you do things from the right perspective, from God's perspective, you're working for God, and you do that with the right attitudes and the right motives, other people are going to be blessed from your efforts, from your work. You might get paid for it, but it's also an opportunity to be heard. People say, wow, you did a great job on that. You know what? Let me show you the Lord. But it also brings fulfillment to your own life. And it, and it yields your life as a worship, your whole life as a worship to God. It's an amazing thought. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so pleased to read these words. To think that we can actually serve you. And when we go to work tomorrow morning, that we can glorify you with our life. Even in a maybe an ungodly work environment. And then you reward us for that. But Lord, it goes down to how can we say thanks? How can we glorify you? Well, it's a whole life of service. Help us to come to grips with that. Help us to realize that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.